0: Take your Bibles and open to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Today is Life Sunday here at Liberty Church. It's an annual observance, something that we began last year and will continue as long as I'm your pastor. Today we're going to be talking about abortion and euthanasia, so if these are sensitive subjects for you, I'm just letting you know in advance, I'm not going to use any graphic language or pictures, the words I'll say will speak loudly enough, but I wanted to let you know that I'll be speaking very clearly and directly about these issues. When we speak clearly and directly about these issues, it does a couple of things, and one of the main things that it does is it actually purifies the church. Because the people that don't agree with the Word of God find themselves leaving out the back door. Uh, But for those who stay, then, we are more strengthened. We are built up in the most holy faith. You don't have to agree with me and the word of God for me to love you. You don't have to believe like me for me to be your pastor. But uh, I can promise you that I'm going to be true to the word and my calling, and that might mean that I'll eventually upset you. Now, I hope and pray that there comes a day when we never have to have a Life Sunday because abortion has been eradicated, and euthanasia has been eradicated in our country. But until then, we will continue to speak on this very important topic. First of all, let me say this. Abortion and euthanasia is not a political issue. It's a spiritual one. Now, it's a spiritual issue that's been politicized, don't get me wrong. But at its core, it is a spiritual issue. So we're not talking politics today. We're talking spirit. We're talking the Word of God. Life is the defining issue of our time. God is the author and owner of all life. There is no life on this planet that does not have its origin in God. And because God originated life, God is the owner of life. And God can do with life what he wills to do with life. What happens with your life and my life is up to God. We didn't bring ourselves into this world. We can't take ourselves out of this world. God is the author and owner of all life. He is sovereign. He is the supreme ruler over all life and all death on earth. He's not just the supreme ruler over wanted life. He's not just knitting together wanted pregnancies in the womb. He's knitting together all pregnancies in the womb of their mother. And God is not just the supreme ruler over those who die suddenly in their sleep without any suffering, but he is also sovereign over the life of the one who suffers greatly before they cross over that river To the other side. God is the supreme ruler over all life and death on earth. There is nobody else that has that authority. Each human being bears what is called the Imago Dei in Latin, and it means the image of God. Every human being bears God's image, for the Bible tells us that humanity was created in the image of God. Every human, whether believer or unbeliever, bears that image. But we also bear another image. For Genesis chapter 5 tells us that when Adam had a son, Seth, Seth was born in the image of his sinful father. And so each one of us today, we bear two images. We bear the image of God in creation, but in birth, we bear the image of sin. We all have a sin nature. But whether we are believers or not today, we all bear the image of God. If you're a believer, you also bear the image of Christ, for we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through the renewing of our mind day by day. But make no mistake, every human being bears God's image and thus has inherent dignity from conception until natural death. Every human being, every human life bears the image of God and has inherent dignity, inherent value from conception to natural death. At Liberty Church, we profess the sanctity of life from womb to tomb. From womb to tomb. From conception until natural death. There's a lot of talk in the States right now about heartbeat laws and things like that. No, from conception, human beings bear the image of God until natural death. Now, I don't say this to brag or be arrogant, but I will say this. If a pastor won't stand and speak to the sanctity of life from womb to tomb, then he's not a pastor. He's a game show host. He's a game show host because the church he's pastoring is just playing games. We don't have to talk about this every time we come together, but if we won't talk about it, if we'll compromise God's word to conform to the current cultural climate, then we're just playing games. There's no reason for us to be here today. We should just go home, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. But We need to stand together, your pastor and this church, and speak to the sanctity of life from womb to tomb. Now, before we talk about life from womb to tomb, we need to make a quick uh, I want to say pit stop or detour back to Genesis chapter 4 to talk about the very first murder. The very first murder. Every murder plays out like the first murder. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 10, we can read the biblical account of the first murder. Now Adam knew, slept with his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So here in uh, here in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see God's intention for marriage and human sexuality. Adam, a man, slept with his wife Eve, a woman, and she conceived and gave birth to a son, Cain. And look at what Eve says. She says, "I have acquired a man from the Lord." God is involved in what goes on in the womb of every mother. Verse 2 Then she bore again this time a brother named Abel and now Abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground And in the process of time she came to pass or sorry it came to pass that Cain look at this brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord He brought an offering Verse 4 Abel also brought Of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, Cain brought an offering, Abel brought the offering, the proper offering for him to bring. Verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He became depressed. Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you brought the right sacrifice, would you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Verse 8, now Cain talked with his brother Abel and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. They got into an argument about the sacrifice and what was an acceptable sacrifice to God. And Cain thought that his sacrifice should have been good enough and he was jealous over his brother Abel's sacrifice that God accepted his but not his own Cain wanted to do it his way, not God's way. And so with, or sorry, in jealous rage, he kills his own brother, commits the first murder. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? God knows where he is. He's asking Cain where his brother is to give him an opportunity to repent, but he doesn't repent. Look what he does. He says, I don't know. He lies to God and then asks God a sarcastic question. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? Again, God knew. Giving Cain another chance for repentance. Cain does not repent. And God says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Upset. And seeking autonomy from God, Cain usurped God's sovereignty over all life when he killed his brother. The word usurp means to take illegally or by force. Cain illegally and by force took from God what belongs only to God the sovereignty over life and death on earth. He killed his brother. Murder is the ultimate way to usurp God's authority over life, to take life and death into your own hands and play God. Murder is the ultimate way to usurp God's authority over life. As I mentioned earlier, as human beings, we do not have the ability to give ourselves the gift of life, nor do we have the authority to take that gift from ourselves or someone else even if they are unwanted or suffering. The fifth commandment in Exodus 20.13 says, you shall not murder. You shall not take innocent blood. All murder, including abortion, euthanasia, and suicide, for any reason, usurps God's authority and ownership over all life. Like the blood of Abel, the blood of all the murdered innocent cries out to God, and God hears it. The blood of the hundreds of thousands of murdered babies in Canada calls out to God, and God hears it. The blood of the hundreds and hundreds of people who in the last few years since 2016 have sought medical-assisted suicide. And that suicide has been carried out at the hands of our government. Their blood cries out to God, and God hears it. So while the innocent are still living, while we still have time, will we heed the words of King Lemuel's mother in Proverbs 31, 8-9? to When she told her son to open his mouth for the mute, to speak up for the rights of all that are dying, will you judge righteously and defend the rights of the poor and the needy? The most marginalized among us, the most vulnerable among us, are those who are unwanted in a mother's womb and those who are unwanted on a deathbed. Will we speak up for them? will we open our mouth and judge righteously and defend their rights and think biblically about these issues. So let's talk about life from the womb. We'll take a few moments there and then we'll take a few moments talking about to the tomb. So from the womb, God is involved in what happens in the womb. David wrote, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The miracle of conception and childbirth, it speaks to the wonderful works of God and his amazing ability to create and to order and to give life. God is involved in what happens in the womb of every mother. Abortion is the murderous ritual sacrifice of innocent children. I want you to know today that abortion is nothing more than the worship of another God. The practice of abortion is the murderous ritual sacrifice of innocent children. Oh, Pastor Matthew, you're overreacting. No, I'm not. Abortion is not health care. Abortion is not compassion. Abortion is not loving. It has nothing to do with a woman's right to choose what she does with her own body. Abortion is a religious act of worship to the goddess Asherah and the god Malik. Asherah in the Old Testament was the fertility goddess of ritual prostitution, and her consort was Moloch. He is the ruler of prosperity and shameful sacrifice, particularly child sacrifice. In ancient Mesopotamia, the altars of Moloch were always located near the groves of the Asherah, each working to supply each other with sufficient sacrifices. The fertility goddess Asherah was worshipped in the groves with ritual prostitution, and those ritual prostitutes, when they conceived, would give birth and bring those babies directly to the altars of Moloch to be sacrificed there. And these uh, temple prostitutes or these ritual prostitutes were considered some of the greatest people in Mesopotamian society because they constantly provided sacrifices to the prosperity god of Moloch. And because the altars of Moloch existed, the temple prostitutes, they shamelessly and without consequence offered themselves and their bodies over and over, knowing that they could just discard the pregnancy and be seen as compassionate for doing so. Be seen as courageous for doing so. Be seen as contributing to the greater good for doing so. The worship of both these pagan gods is expressly forbidden by God. Look at Leviticus 18.21. It's on the screen for you here. Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not... Let any of your descendants pass through the fires of Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. God says, you'll not worship any other God or allow your children to pass through the fires of Moloch. And don't you dare do it in my name, for I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 16, 21 reads as follows. You shall not plant for yourselves any tree As a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourselves to the Lord your God. Now, the greater context of this, God is forbidding that the people of Israel go and plant a grove and carve the trees into the image of Asherah near the altar that they were going to set up to Moloch. He forbids it expressly. He says, Do not build this altar for yourselves. And then finally in uh, Deuteronomy 18.10, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire. This is a direct reference to the altar of Moloch. In defiance of God's command, the Jewish people regularly worshipped Asherah within the temple itself. And they worshipped Moloch outside the city of Jerusalem in the valley of Hinnom. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. Let's read it. You don't have to take my word for it. We can read it straight from the word. 2 Kings 21, 1 to 9. 2 Kings 21, verse 1 to 9. Manasseh reigns in Judah. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Verse three, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father destroyed. The high places referring to the places of pagan worship. He rebuilt them. He raised the altars for Baal he made a wooden image, in Asherah, just as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. The host of heaven here meaning the other angelic beings, the small g, gods of the spiritual realm. Verse 4, Manasseh also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. We just read in Deuteronomy, God says, Don't you dare bring into the temple any idol and defile it. I am the Lord. Manasseh defied that and built altars in the house of the Lord and did it in the name of God. Verse 5, And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Verse 6, And he also made his son pass through the fire. He practiced Soothsaying. He used witchcraft. He consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke God to anger. Verse 7 He even carved an image of Asherah that he made in the house of Solomon his son. Or, sorry, uh, in the house which the Lord had said to David of Solomon his son In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name. Forever, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers only, listen if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them if they obey my word I'll bless them finally verse 9 but they paid no attention and Manasseh seduced them To do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before them. Israel became more wicked than the nations that they kicked out of the promised land when God brought them in there under Joshua. Why? They compromised the word of God, they didn't believe the word, they were seduced by the idols and gods of the other nations, they set those idols and altars up in the house of the Lord, did it in the name of God, and provoked God to anger. Now, when a pagan couple sacrificed their firstborn in what was known as the Rite of Moloch, they believed that Moloch would ensure financial prosperity for the family and their future children. Jewish couples, including King Manasseh, did the exact same thing. They forgot God's promises in Deuteronomy 28, that if they obeyed God's word, he would make them prominent above every other nation. He would make them successful in their cities and in their farming that he would bring blessing upon their children, their food and their livestock, that he would provide protection and power against the enemy, bountiful harvest of food, that he would set appropriate rain and favorable blessing upon their work, including freedom from all debt. And yet they were seduced by the God of Moloch offering their children on that pagan altar in hopes that he would give them and grant them prosperity. Why do most women get an abortion today? What's the main tactic? What's the main argument used by Planned Parenthood and others? If you do this, you'll have socioeconomic prosperity. Don't have this, baby. It'll ruin your life. You won't get a good education. You won't get a good job. Motherhood is going to ruin your life. If you want to be set up socially and economically for the future, abort this baby now. Abortion can never ensure prosperity for the mother, only for organizations like Planned Parenthood. Okay, I'm going to bring this abortion discussion to a close by saying this, and I mentioned it earlier abortion is not health care. Only Satan would call the dismemberment and murder of innocent children in their mother's wombs health care. Only Satan would do that. I had an uncle last year message me and say, Matthew, abortion is health care. I said, That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard from you until you apologize to me. I don't want to hear from you again. Abortion is not health care because only Satan would call the dismemberment and murder of innocent children in their mother's womb health care. Abortion is not compassion. It's cruelty against mother and baby. It's not loving. It is self serving. And it is not a right. It's usurping God's authority and ownership over all life. Here's what I'm going to say the most I don't want to say controversial, but I'm going to say the most direct thing now about abortion that can be said from a pulpit. I've adopted the biblical position on abortion. And I didn't always have this view. I was deceived, okay? But I have adopted the biblical position on abortion. There's only one, which is total prohibition. No exceptions. There are no biblical exceptions for rape, incest, or harm to the mother. Is God the author of all life or not? Because if he's not, then he's not God at all, and we are really wasting our time here today. If he is God, if he is the author over all life and all death, then there is no exceptions. No exceptions for rape, incest, or harm to the mother. God knows what he's doing. Can you trust him? Abortion is always murder and never health care, even if it's safe, legal, and rare. Okay, let's talk about to the tomb. Thank you. Let's talk about the sanctity of life from womb to tomb. God has numbered our days. He knows how many days we're going to live before we live even one of them. Legislators and influencers in our country today have led a the vast majority of Canadians, 6 in 10, to believe that medical assistance in dying is a good thing, that it's a dignified thing. But just as abortion is the murderous ritual sacrifice of innocent children, so too medical assistance in dying is the murderous sacrifice of the marginalized, disabled, and seniors. We used to call it euthanasia, now we've softened it and called it medical assistance in dying. But whatever you call it, it is a blight on our nation. Medical assistance in dying is an oxymoron. Former Surgeon General of the United States, C. Everett Koop, stated, medicine cannot be our healer and our killer. It's not medical assistance in dying, it's government assistance in dying. And of course, they want you to die. Saves them money. It, uh, it's increasing even in the funeral industry. Funeral homes are actually starting to build medical assistance in dying rooms where they can carry out the act right there. They don't even have to go to a hospital. And that's not just happening in the States. In fact, euthanasia is still illegal in the States. Euthanasia is only legal in seven countries in the world, Belgium, Canada, Colombia, Luxembourg, Netherlands, New Zealand, and Spain. Canada passed euthanasia legislation in 2016, and the initial law granted the procedure only to those who were over 18 and met several strict conditions. One of the main conditions that somebody who was seeking euthanasia or medical assistance in dying, that I will now referred to as government assistance in dying one of the conditions that they had to meet was that their illness had to be grievous and irremediable they had to have a medical condition that caused unbearable pain and suffering and they had to uh, and their death had to be in the foreseeable future However, in 2019, before that legislation reached royal assent, the Superior Court in Quebec struck down the legislation because it said it was too limited. It was too limited because it only limited death to those, or sorry, it only uh, limited government assistance in dying to those whose death was imminent. Imminent. And so in 2021, Canadian legislators removed that limitation and passed Bill C-7, just Google it, it's right there, out in the open, passed Bill C-7 in order to align with the Quebec Superior Court's decision. Not surprisingly, of the seven countries in which euthanasia is legal, Canada has the most permissive euthanasia rules. Just like our abortion rules, which are non-existent, we have no actual abortion rules Uh, parameters and guidelines in Canada federally. The provinces do but the precedent is set federally and there is no restriction. If someone wanted to do it today, they could have an abortion for no reason at all at any time. As long as they were willing to go through with it and a doctor was willing to carry it out, they could have it. There's no legal safeguards uh, against that. And the same is similar to our government assisted in dying program here In Canada, we have the most permissive rules of the seven countries in which euthanasia is permitted. In Canada, there are no restrictions on doctors suggesting euthanasia to patients who don't request it themselves. In other words, you go in to see your doctor, they will unapologetically or could unapologetically offer it to you as a uh, treatment to whatever it is that ails you. In Canada, or sorry, uh, Canada's... Canada one. Oh, yeah, In Canada, one is not required to have exhausted all their treatment options before requesting government assistance in dying. They, can't, they don't have to be at the end of their rope. The doctor doesn't have to say there's nothing more we can do. Government assistance in dying can be the first option that someone chooses in Canada. Under the current law, only uh, adults with a serious illness, disease, or disability can ask to be killed by the government. Okay, And we see the word serious and we think, okay, well, it must be serious. Do you know there's people in Canada that have requested government assistance in dying because they have hearing loss? Yeah. Tim Stanton, director of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship at the University of BC, described Canada's euthanasia law as probably the biggest existential threat to disabled people since Nazi Germany. Teresa Degner, a professor of law and disability studies at the Protestant University for Applied Sciences in Germany, said this, allowing euthanasia based exclusively on disability is a clear human rights violation. The implication of Canada's law is that a life with a disability is automatically less worth living, and in some cases, death is preferable. Now, despite this scathing criticism, one in six Canadians, along with the government that we deserve, because we haven't stood up to this stuff earlier, remains intent on further expanding its already loose legislation to include people with mental illness who are, for example, suicidal, but as we know, could get better. It also wants to expand government assistance in dying to those who can't easily access government services and programs. So, if you live in a rural area, if you live far away from a city center and can't easily access health care and other programs, they want government assistance in dying legislation to include people uh, in that situation. They can request to be killed. Hey, I'm a nuisance. You know, I'm a burden on society. Just do away with me now and let's get it over with. Sadly, a growing number of Canadians support made, as I said, one in six, which is the murderous sacrifice of the marginalized. The advocacy group known as Dying with Dignity says that the procedure is driven by compassion to end suffering. Now listen, I went down the rabbit hole this week I wanted to check out what Dying with Dignity was all about. I typed in D Y I, and guess what automatically came up in the search bar? Dying with Dignity. It was right there. Didn't even have to finish typing it out. I went to their website, and the subtitle on their website, Dying with Dignity, says It's Your Life, It's Your Choice. That is proof that Satan has his hands around the neck of our culture. It's not your life. It's not your choice. The Bible tells us that we were bought with a price. Believer or unbeliever, you were purchased by the precious blood of Christ. It's not your life. God owns you. He bought you. Now, if you're a believer, it's really not your life. Galatians 2 20 says that I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what gave himself for me, who bought me. I'm not mine. I'm a new creation and whether I'm a believer or not, your life's not yours. God authored your life. God numbered your days. He's giving you time after time to receive his salvation. Don't Put it off any longer. But the advocacy group Dying with Dignity says that this procedure of medical or government assistance in dying is driven by compassion to end human suffering. They go on to say this on their website, the current exclusion of those with mental health disorders, listen to this word salad, the exclusion of those with mental health, health disorder from end-of-life choice is stigmatizing, discriminatory, and unconstitutional. We must avoid creating barriers that will prolong grievous suffering. As I said before, this statement is proof that Satan has a chokehold on Canadian culture, convincing people, one in, or six in 10, many of them Christians, That, or I say so called Christians, convincing them that murder dressed up in a dignified word salad is compassion. Dying with dignity should be called death with dignity. And there is no such thing as death with dignity. Death is an indignity suffered as a result of sin. Remember, people were not meant to die. Sin came into the world and death through sin. Now, to be clear, all people retain their inherent dignity because they bear the Imago Dei. They retain their inherent dignity while dying. But death is an enemy and a curse. It's the last enemy to be destroyed. It's the last curse to be lifted. Oh, death is defeated by the cross of Christ in the empty tomb, but it is not yet destroyed. Death is still at work and in play in this world until Christ returns. Deuteronomy 30 19 says, Today I've given you the choice between life and death. Between what? Blessing and cursing. Life is a blessing, death is a curse. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. In recent decades, politicians in Canada, unelected officials, global elites, celebrities, advocacy groups, and everyday ordinary people have become nothing more than high-profile death dealers for their father, the devil. To them, human death is simply the end of another animal's life, which frees up resources for the use of somebody else, especially them. Look around our culture today. Everywhere we look, there's death. Death to what it means to be human. To bear the imago day, death to unborn babies, death to the suffering, death to the marginalized. Everywhere we look, we see it. But, but Jesus offers the remedy. The remedy to all of what I said today is truth and grace. The cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. The gospel, the power of God unto salvation. There is no depravity that the gospel is incapable of curing. The gospel is the solution. Jesus is the solution. The gospel is the power of God. Death is a terrible curse and an enemy, but death had nothing on Jesus. Oh, he certainly did die on that cross. He certainly was buried, and he certainly did go to the place of the dead for three days. But under his own power, he raised himself back up again, declaring death defeated. Death couldn't hold Jesus. Death can't hold the believer. The innocent blood of Abel cried out for vengeance. But the innocent blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness. Father, forgive them they know not what they do. I know that some of my words today were quite provocative and I intended them to be so. But just getting ticked off doesn't fix anything. We have to get ticked off and then we have to go to our knees in prayer. We have to get ticked off. We have to be righteously angry and we have to declare truth and grace to our nation. Truth and grace to the people that we live next door to. Truth and grace to our family and friends. Jesus forgives. Jesus died for the unborn. Do you know that you were unborn when Jesus died for you? Jesus died for the unborn. Jesus can forgive the sin, the abomination of abortion. If you're here today and you've had an abortion, I want you to know that Jesus can forgive you. He wants nothing more than to forgive you. He doesn't want to condemn you. I don't want to condemn you. I condemn the sin of abortion. I hate it because it's evil and demonic and it stands against the God that I love and served. It's, it's a lofty idea raised against the knowledge of God. But I love you today. And if you've been deceived by an organization or an advocacy group to abort your child, I want you to know that there is forgiveness in Jesus today, that there is grace for you in this church. You don't have to hide in shame of your past. You can confess your sins one to another, and I promise you that there is no judgment here, no condemnation. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, I better not. The measure that we use to judge will be used against us. And so as as provocative as I've been and direct as I've been about abortion today, make sure you leave this place knowing that Jesus loves you, died for you, died for that baby, that that baby is now safe in the arms of Jesus. You don't have to worry and wonder where that baby is. That baby was knit together in your womb And if you committed that sin of abortion, Jesus has that baby and Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can even forgive the sin of suicide. There's only one unpardonable sin and it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I don't know how this works, but I believe that Jesus can do it. I believe that he can forgive the sin of suicide. If you have contemplated suicide, don't you dare choose life. God set before you a choice, choose life. If you or a lo- if a loved one, if you have a loved one rather that's committed suicide and now you're scared that they're spending an eternity in hell even though they were a believer up to that point, I want to assure you today that the judge of all the earth will do right. I don't know exactly what or where they are if they've committed suicide, but I believe that Jesus can forgive that sin. Jesus shares our suffering. Maybe you have a loved one today who's suffering from an an irremediable disease. Maybe you're watching a loved one suffer today and it's as much torture on you as it is them. God shares our suffering. He's present with us in it. He doesn't leave us when we start suffering, in fact, He pulls us even closer. God hasn't abandoned you because you're suffering, so now you have to make the choice to end your own suffering. At the said and appointed time, God will bring your suffering to a conclusion, and once you step over the portals of glory and see Jesus, all the suffering and sorrow will be erased forever. Jesus is waiting to cross the valley of death with us. He will walk across that uh, river with us. He'll take us by the hand and lead us through. And Jesus can heal our land. Jesus can heal it. Oh, it's in a desperate state today, my goodness. It's in a God-forsaken place right now. And there's no political party or party leader that's our Messiah there's only one Messiah per universe. Pierre Polyev is not it. Justin Trudeau is not it. is not it. Uh, Jesus is it. Oh, by the way, Donald Trump's far from it. Jesus can heal our land. If you're looking for a strong man to take office and avenge you, and avenge your way of living, and defend your human rights, you will be sadly disappointed. There is but one strong man that we can lean on, one everlasting arm that we can lean on. It's the everlasting arm of Jesus Christ. It will not fail us. It will not let us down. You can lean on him today. He will be your defender. He will be your avenger. He will be your forgiver, your constant guide and friend, your comforter your peace in the midst of the storm. That's who he is, and that's what he does.